host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my buddy Julian McKenzie. Julian, what's going on, man? Things are good, man. Good to good to talk to you again, man. Hope things are good. Yeah, no, things are great. It's uh, I'm happy to have you on. Um, you know, it's going to be a slightly different tone than I was actually expecting because we first started chatting uh, Monday morning, Monday afternoon, planning on doing a show together. And then the Flames have uh, a thrilling last second win last night. Um, it's kind of, you know, it looked like it was going to be actually kind of more of the same, right? They blow that 4-2 lead and it's like, okay, well, this has kind of become part of the script at this point. And then Tyler Toffoli scores that breakaway goal with five seconds, I believe. And and so now it's a, you know, a slightly more optimistic tune, but still I think a lot of the the themes and a lot of the topics that we were going to hit anyways still apply. And I think still showed themselves in last night's game. So it's not necessarily that different, but we should still acknowledge that, you know, at least there is something to build off of last night. Absolutely. And, you know, just seeing that goal yesterday and seeing how those guys reacted, such a change from some of the faces we saw last week. Uh, I think it was a game against Minnesota where, I don't yep. know if you saw it. Or not. It was a hockey night in Canada. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the the pan across the, the 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 bench with all those players looking as despondent as they looked, um, like this is a team that really needed that win. I think their confidence was as low as it's probably been all season, and then they go into the, that Dallas Stars game, and you're right, like it looked like it was going to be more of the same. But I think a goal like that, if a team like the Flames, uh, it like. If they go on a run off of this, like you go back to that game and you go back to that moment where you found a way to beat this prevailing theme, this here we go again type of field that has been plaguing your team. You go back to that moment and you say, hey, that was an opportunity where we were able to beat that. Well, and we're going to, I think we're going to learn a lot more about that as soon as tonight, right? Because I believe they play the Minnesota Wild. But, you know, as of this moment, uh, Dom's model of the athletic has them at 31% playoff probability um I, I think the 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 most jarring part to me i didn't even realize this is that like they're competing closely with the nashville predators for one of those final wildcard spots right it's basically looks like it's going to be between the flames the predators and the jets and in a stark contrast to what the flames did at the deadline which is pretty much standing pat for the most part except for you know they added choice detra and they did the the first ever brother brother for brother trade involving the richies but the predators on the other hand basically embrace being full sellers, wind up trading three, four key pieces off of their roster for eight future draft picks. And so for all the people that were like, oh man, I wish the I wish the Flames did something like that. It's it's kind of adding insult to injury to see them, I, I think actually behind the Predators at this moment in terms of point percentage is kind of crazy. Yeah, they are behind them as of now in terms of yeah. points percentage. And yeah, I, I can understand why people kind of feel that kick in the nads off of that just because, you know, like the Fred's soul. And yeah. it looked as if they, they, and that's something wild too, because the Preds, you could have made the argument that like a season or two ago, they should have sold. And like now they're finally going about it and, and they're setting up Barry Trotz for, for his go run as GM. But to see the Flames in the situation that they're in, and look, you could tell me if I'm wrong from your perspective, but I really thought it was going to be a difficult justification for them to sell considering the moves they had done up until that point from the, from the summer before to the present day. Like, I feel like when you have the squad that you have and you have the results that you've been getting, like, to just be like, okay, well, we're tearing everything down or we're, we're at least doing some kind of retool. Like, I, I feel as if, like, well, maybe, I'm sure Brad for a living, I mean, he told us that he, he examined everything, 
I still think it would have been a really tough sell for for guys like Nazem Kadri and, and Jonathan Huberdeau, even if they haven't necessarily been playing up to snuff, like to to kind of sign those guys and then like, hey, yeah, sorry, we're gonna kind of go through a bit of a rebuild here. They're kind of it's weird to say they're kind of stuck, but like you kind of have to be in a position where you go for it. But at the same time, like this team did not want to give up any of their premium assets, whether it's the first round pick or or Matthew Coronado or Dustin Wolf, their their best prospects, their best skating prospects, their best goaltending prospect, respectively. And when you're in a situation where you're saying those guys are off the table, you're not going to put yourself in position to get a guy like a Timo Meyer, for example. So they were in a position where they were just like, okay, we're just not, we're going to kind of do like a little minimal move and and that's really it. And I mean, look, for Stetcher, for Troy Stetcher and, and Nick Ritchie, they got points against the Dallas Stars. Uh, but yeah, I, I can imagine, I mean, you know, that's, I mean, we need to see more games, but I wonder how much of an impact those guys will really have on that locker room and, and the rest of those guys too, they too do also like, we're talking to Andrew Mangiapane last week and he was saying like, you know, yeah, if we add we add, but you know, we like the group that we have. And, and I feel if anything, like it served as like a vote of confidence, that deadline in a sense, because it's like, okay, you made a few small moves, but you know, you, you're essentially doubling down on your core working. Yeah. It, it's a tricky question to, to navigate. Honestly, I, I, I totally get it because you can talk yourself into either angle, right? Like I think you could easily paint a picture of this sort of being uh, just a season from hell where everything kind of goes wrong and you don't want to overreact to that, right? You can really get yourself in trouble in this league if you, uh, I know like 60, whatever, 64 games or whatever they played so far isn't necessarily a small sample, but we know that as soon as next year starts, right, it's, it's kind of irrelevant what happened this year. And in that sense, it is in the grand scheme of things, a smaller sample. You don't want to get into the position where you're sort of chasing your tail or, or, or freaking out to it because we look and it's like, all right, they're 28th in point percentage in one goal games. I believe they've lost 24 games uh, in that were decided by one goal and no, te- no other team in the league is even up to 20 at this point. The 31st in the league in shooting percentage, only the Ducks are worse. And we can talk more about that because I think that actually might be a sign of a bigger problem. But on on, yeah. on in terms of goaltending, they're 29th in save percentage. And I think that is much more random. I think we can get into that as well. But that seems like if you replay these games all over again, there's almost no scenario in which they'd wind up being 29th again. It seems like that's kind of entirely fluky. And so for me, it's easy to talk yourself into that. At the same time, I did find it interesting. I was watching... I was trying to balance, uh, you know, the sports and TSN broadcast on on trade deadline day because I just wanted to get as many perspectives as I could. And on the Sportsnet one, you had Ryan Leslie on, um, kind of reporting from the Flame side, and he was talking about how, you know, there's some uncertainty about Brad Truliving's future, and not because the Flames organization would be letting him go, but because it's been such a stressful couple of years here, especially the past year, and he's just not sure if he wants to commit to doing this again. You know, if he might just want to move on. And well, the reason why I find that fascinating is because they're kind of approaching rapidly this crossroads period as an organization where you look at their cap sheet for next season and pretty much the entirety of their roster are impending UFAs who are going to be playing on the last year of their deal. And a lot of them, especially the forwards, are playing under cap figures. Like you look at what Backlund's 5.35, Lindholm's 4.85, Toffoli's 4.25. Especially the last two guys are going to get pretty significant pay raises on that, on their next deals. And like, you know, Hannafin, 4.95, he's almost certainly going to be in the sixes, if not sevens on his next long-term deal. Yeah, Those are very valuable assets. If you decide, all right, this just this group doesn't have it, it's not going to work. 
those are incredibly valuable pieces to start whatever the next version of the Calgary Flames is going to be. And if you felt that way at the start of this deadline, well, I'm sure you could have gotten more for those guys considering how underpaid they are for two playoff runs from some contender, whereas all of a sudden now you get into the summer, you get into the deadline next year, it's a much shorter window and it's tougher for teams to talk themselves into giving you a lot of futures in return, right? So I think you have ultimately, true. they need to decide which way they're going to go sooner rather than later because they're going to need to act decisively. And I don't think sort of sitting on the fence and being like, well, we like this group, but we're not going to do anything is a very palatable solution. I think that could really blow up in their faces. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but like, once they figured out, once they figure out who the GM is, then you have a much clearer picture of the futures for Backlund and Linda Holm and to Foley. Like you, you can't be on the, like they because I think if they keep for living, uh, I mean, even then, if they, if if they keep Brad for living, he could always just be like, you know what, this team really just doesn't have it. We're just gonna sell off some of those assets, I guess. But I really think for this team, especially now, like the the Flames need to figure out what's gonna happen with Brad Trillivan. I know every time we've asked him, uh, I asked him straight up over the phone, like, do you want to come back? And like, it's, it's something that there will be dealt in time. That's, that's the prevailing answer. And it's pretty, been pretty closed or, or not closed, but it's been pretty quiet in terms of speculation on, on what he might do or what could happen or anything like that. And, and some people have been asking like, you know, Hey, did him, did his, is his contract status, does that really have an impact on how, he went about the deadline. I'm not inclined to think he did. I believe him when I think I believe him when he says that it had zero impact, just because of of where the team was at and, and the performances that they had. Um, but like I just I think the biggest domino to fall will ultimately be Brad Treliving's future with the organization, whether he stays on or he doesn't stay on. And we've been speculating about this for months, whether or not he'll leave or, or he'll go for greener pastures somewhere else or if he'll stay for another few years. It's like I I mean, I really, I'm, I'm not sure where I lie on that as someone who has not been around the organization as long as other journalists have. Like, I, I think Brad, I, I don't fault him for the moves he did last off season. Like, I, I think the fact that he turned Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau essentially into, into Jonathan Huberdeau, Mackenzie Weger, and by extension as well, Nazem Kadri, like, I think there are a lot of people who might have done the same thing, considering what those guys were able to do in other organizations. It's just a lot of bad luck, but also just some pretty bad performances at different points, too, if we're really being honest. Uh, I don't think anyone really expected the team to perform the way that they did, and they haven't really gone on that run yet, that winning streak yet, and there's still time for them to do it, but not as much time as if they had done it like 20 games before. So for a guy like Brad Trillivan to go through all that emotion, uh, and then go through the season as it is now. Like, I can understand why you're kind of thinking about it a little bit where, from his vantage point. We're like, you know what? Maybe you don't, but maybe he does. It's still really unclear on that, which is fascinating in itself. Cause sometimes for other things, you're like, oh, you know, we're hearing this, we're hearing that. And hey, maybe Frank Sarah Valley will come up with something. I don't know. But like, uh, not come up as it like makes stuff up. Obviously, I'm not applying that. I mean, like, you'll get info. <laughs> yeah. I just want that cleared up. I don't, yes. I don't want to smoke with Frank Sarah Valley. But, like, it's quiet on that situation right now. And maybe that's by design. Well, here's one of the complicating things, though, is you ultimately do have to decide where you land on how representative this year's performance is of this team's actual ability versus how much you think of it as bad luck because, you know, they have Lucic's contract coming off the books this summer. They have, they, they traded for the Nick Ritchie deal. That, that, that saves them a bit as well. But 
all that's ultimately all soaked up by the impending pay raises that you've already committed to Huberto and Uyghur, right? So I was looking at this and it's like, they already have $81 million next year committed to 10 forwards, six defensemen, which includes Shillington. And, and that's obviously a, still kind of a big unknown and big uncertainty in terms of his future and two goalies. And so on the one hand, you're, you're kind of committed to bringing this group back then, unless there is going to be a big trade involving one of those names we mentioned. And at that point, it's like, based on what we've seen from them this year, can you justify that? But also, there's, it, it's tough to commit yourself to like, all right, well, I still believe in this group. We're going to roll it back. And then I'm going to potentially bring back some of these guys, like what well, Michael Backlund's going to be 34 years old. Chris Tanev's going to be in his mid-30s. Um, you know, it, it's different for a guy like Hannafin based on where, where he is in terms of his age. But for a lot of these other players, you ultimately have to decide whether we're good enough to kind of go for it again next year and risk losing them for nothing or whether it makes more sense to cash in on them now and try to sort of retool on the fly. Like there's a lot of different kind of timelines and moving parts there. And, and as you mentioned also, you already have it kind of in the back of your mind this reality that Jonathan Huber is going to be in year one of an eight-year deal. Mackenzie Weaver is going to be in year one of an eight-year deal. Nazem Kadri is going to be in year two of a, of a seven-year deal. And so you're already sort of pot committed to an extent to players who are already in their 30s. And it's a matter of how much further you want to push in versus whether you need to kind of take a cold, hard uh, look at yourself and take a step back accordingly. I wonder even if this team says that the core that they have, they want to run it back next year, considering how much the salary cap might go up next year, which doesn't look as if it's going to go up much. I wonder if you look at this core and you say, like, okay, we still have to shed some kind of salary. Yeah. Like, yes, Milan Lucic contract is going to be off the books, but you, you mentioned it eloquently. Like, they're still going to be pretty tight up against the cap, even if his salary is off the books because of all those extensions. I really wonder if you look at your forwards and you're like, hmm, Blake Coleman has an NTC. Okay. Do you, or what about Backlund? in the final year of his deal. Is that something worth looking at? You just signed uh, Andre Mangiapane to a new deal. Uh, he's 26. He's making under $6 million. He's shown that he can score 30 goals. You kind of need that type of player. But if people yeah. are asking about that type of player and that's a salary you can move, do you think about that? Now, I'm not saying that it's like a, like a total rebuild, but like something that at least alleviates uh, some of that pressure off of your, off of your, off of your cap structure. You're right, you're gonna get you hopefully I mean hopefully things are okay with Oliver Shillington, but presumably you get him back and then his salary is 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 firmly in the fold in the string of things with you. Now to mention your goaltending, right? One other extension you didn't bring up, Daniel Vladar. Mm -hmm. Uh got that extension earlier this year. He'll be in the first year of a two year deal that pays him two point two mil. Uh so yeah, like the way the team's gonna be set in terms of salaries, like I think they really kind of did those deals banking on the fact that you know, if this team was super competitive, they're making their way for the playoffs, they get a cup run in them, like, you could live with the fact that the salary structure is as it is because you're thinking, all right, well, this team's competitive enough, they could find a way to make it work next year. But it's a lot harder to stomach when you have all these one-goal games not go your way and you're on the outside looking and heading into the playoffs. Yeah. Well, another complicating factor is you mentioned Backlund there. I understand like his age and obviously that's going to influence the term on his next deal. 
But man, he is having an unbelievable season. Like you look at, you watch him play, and you look at the underlying numbers. I mean, I, 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 I don't have a Selkie ballot. I honestly would strongly consider putting him second now, significantly behind Patrice Bergeron at the top of that list. But he, that's the type of caliber of season he's had. And so you look at him, and it's like, well, this would have been a pretty good time if you decide to move on to sell high a guy like Chris Tanev. You know, I imagine at 50% retained, what his deal would have been 2.25 or 2.5 million or something like that for the next two seasons. That would have been a highly intriguing proposition for a contender to have for two playoff runs. So if you were to decide to go that route, I understand these are all moves you could still conceivably make at the draft or into next season, but it felt like that would have been the time to do so. So I understand people's frustration of kind of being perceived as sitting on the fence because you missed an opportunity to maximize value. And now by doing so, you've ultimately kind of boxed yourself into at least more realistically embracing the idea that you're going to bring at least a large majority of this group back for next season again. I wonder what those asking prices were for those players. I really wonder what it was. We were seeing guys getting flipped for seconds. Like like on national radio or national television or, na- or podcasts, we talked about Luke Shen who is like a sixth defenseman on so many teams. And people were saying, is he, are the Canucks going to get a first round pick for Luke Shen? Like we were at that point when we were talking about the trade deadline. So I, I, I too wonder what it would have been like for a guy like Michael Backlund, who I think he's been really great. I think there's been games where he's played like the team's best forward out there. And he needs so much to the organization too, right? Oh my God, God he's done. Yeah. Absolutely. Longest tenured flame on the team. The way, like, one like look we've seen some of the lines kind of go up and down one thing that uh, you know i i kind of commend daryl sutter for doing i think at almost every point he can he, he tries to keep backland and blake coleman together and the work that they're able to do cycling down low making turnovers in the offensive zone and, and maintaining offensive zone uh possessions and turning those into opportunities but like seeing those two work together whether it's andrew manjapani on their left or someone else on their left like it's some of, it's it's some really good work from this team. It's really good work from those two players. So yeah, I think a guy like Michael Backlund, I think he deserves a lot of praise for how he's been able to go about playing this year. Not to mention he doesn't have to play in some top six role when you have guys like Elias Lindholm and Nazem Kadri ahead ahead of you in the pecking order. That helps Backlund. But 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 you know, little rant aside, like I wonder generally what the asking price or what teams generally were offering. Uh, for a guy like him or, or a guy like Tanev who, look, before I came to this market, people were, were describing him as like a McDavid stopper. At least that's how it was kind of described ahead of the playoffs. But uh, yeah, we all know how that kind of turned out. But all that to well, say, like, what do you do with that? Well, Julian, if only one of us had a regular podcast with one of the premier NHL insiders, maybe one of us would be able to figure out what that aspect is. Yeah, you're was. right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's true. I have no excuse between him and and, and some of my colleagues at The Athletic. Yeah. You're right. I have no excuse. I should. I could probably do some digging on my own. What a call out, man. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know we boys. We good. But no, to your point, you're right. Like, I, I genuinely would like to know, like, how much they genuinely considered going down that road of selling. Because I think they could have easily done it. And, well, I think about it now, like maybe they could have done it and it could have worked out in a certain way. But also, if the goal is to put yourself in a position where you get as good of a draft pick as you can get, like they still have a lot of those guys on their team who they don't have it built in them to tank. So I don't know how well it would have really worked out. Yeah, But we'll see how that, but, but again, 
this is them doubling down on the team and saying we're better than what we've shown over the first 63 games and we still have it within us to do a run like that's that's how I'm taking it from from tree living and the rest of company on on why they didn't do what they did at the deadline okay well let's let's get into that then let's 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 try to suss out how how representative this actually is on true talent versus how unlucky it's been and let's break it down first by defense and then we'll and then we'll talk about the offense so defensively they are as i mentioned 29th in team save percentage only the kings sharks and canucks are worse uh evolving hockey has jacob markstrom at minus 1.5 goal save above expected and daniel vladar at minus 4.6 goal save above expected the that that's publicly available data. The privately available data, according to Sport Logic, seems to really like Calgary's defensive system even more than a lot of the public stuff we have because Sport Logic has Jacob Markstrom at negative six seventeen point three goal save above expected, which is, I believe, the sixth worst out of any goalie in the NHL this season. And I think his performance in the grand scheme of things has been the most startling to me because heading into the year, a, a drum I was beating was the Flames need to find a way to manufacture more starts for Daniel Vladar this season because I don't think that there's any goalie in the league who is more adversely impacted by fatigue or workload than Jacob Markstrom, right? Like when he's fresh, he looks one way. And then as soon as he starts getting tired, his decision-making completely slips, his technique completely falls off, and he just visibly looks like an entirely different goalie in that. And so I was like, as good as he was last year, I don't think he should have played 62 games or whatever in the regular season. And I think that did impact him in the playoffs. The Flames need to find a way to play him 45 to 50 times. And you look now and he's on pace for like 51 games. And so you'd think, all right, this is great. This is exactly what we wanted heading into the year. And never in my mind did I expect that the reason we'd get there is would be for performance-related reasons because they felt more comfortable in starting Vladar for significant stretches of time as opposed to last year. And so I think for me, that's kind of one of the most surprising parts or surprising developments of this in terms of his usage and how his play in those games has fallen off this season. Yeah, and in talking to Jordan Sigala, who's the director of goaltending uh, for the Flames, like the way that they've kind of allotted these starts for for Jacob Markstrom, especially when he's going through a stretch where they're not going so well, uh, like it's sort of by design. Uh, I'm trying to remember specifically the number that, Jordan had mentioned to me in terms of starts that they really wanted Markstrom to to get, but like I, they're they're going away from the sixty. Like I don't think they necessarily want him to be at that point because uh, they want him to be as fresh as he can get for the postseason. But also they they feel confident enough in Daniel Vladar. I mean, hence why he got that extension uh, for him to to be in a position where he could do that. But I also know I also figure that for for a guy like Dan Vladar, while it's a good good vote of faith for him to get the extension and for him to get the starts that he's getting, like, I, th- I still think he has some ways to go in his game. Like, I go back to that 13-game stretch where he managed to get a point in each of those games, like a consecutive point streak, which tied him, um, I think, with Brian Elliott and Mike Vernon. In that 13-game stretch, he goes 10-0-3, which is good. But he has a 9-0-5 save percentage, which is not that great, no, right? Well, that's, well, that's league average this season. Right, but like that's not like for there were a lot of people, especially during that stretch, who felt like you know like why are the Flames still playing Jacob Markstrom? Like Daniel Vladar should be the starter, and like I remember, I think not that long before the streak ended or a little after that, like I remember Daryl Sutter sort of saying that like you know hey like there's some games where where Dan, where Daniel Vladar sort of needs work too, and the, the the immediate instinct is to be like well what are you talking about? Do you want all those games? 
But like, there's some stretches in there where like, you know, the goaltending was not necessarily perfect. Like, there's some there's back to back games he got or back to back wins he got where he got a win over Dallas and he got a win over Tampa, and he allowed like four goals and three ga- three goals in those games respectively, and both of those games save percentages below 900. In fact, there's a three-game stretch in that 13-game stretch where he gets wins, but the save percentage is below 900. So, like, the, the Flames were able to get points out of that. They were able to get wins out of that. But it's hard to say that Daniel Vladar, when you look at that specific stretch of 13 games, that he that he robbed every single team he was up against and was this all-world goaltender against these top-quality teams. He did enough to get those wins, but I think when you really look at some of those numbers, there might have been a little bit of an overstating uh, or a bit of an overreaching in terms of how good Dan Vladar was in those games. It's not to say he's not a good goalie, and he could still be a really good goalie. He's really young. He's good in tangibles, and it's clear that like he's been able to get some wins this year, and there's every reason to give him more opportunities behind the net, especially with the fact that you've given them that extension, which in, in turn kind of gives more time for a guy like Dustin Wolf in your system to continue to dominate the AHL. I don't think the Flames are in any rush to bring him up. But I think when you really look closely at that stretch of games, you can start to pump the brakes a little bit on how good Dan Vladar was in, in the net. And, and, and when you really look at it as a whole, the goaltending hasn't really been there for the Calgary Flames. I think in the last few games, it's looked okay for Jacob Markstrom. But as a whole... They really needed better from their two guys. Well, I think just hearing you say that, I think what that illustrates to me is just how low the bar that they need to clear is in this system to give them a chance to win. And they've clearly, for a lot of the year, in that combined, failed to clear that bar, right? Like, you know, how many times is it up to eight now that there's been a goal against in the first shot they faced this season? I mean, I know it's become kind of a, a you know, a bit of a, um, you know, it's, it's a recurring theme, clearly, that it's happened, but that must be so demoralizing. I think after one of the most recent ones uh, against Colorado, I was reading some quotes from Jacob Markstrom, who, I mean, if you need a, a peek into the psyche of an athlete, I feel like his the quotes he's given out this year after some of these performances speaks to how dip, how hard he's being on himself, right? Not to excuse his performance, but it's clearly not for a lack of caring. Like, if you, if you just kind of, you don't need to be parsing these quotes to be like, oh, what is he trying to say? He's very clearly being very hard on himself and he was saying like well like i you know that first shot like i i just like need to stop it i basically they're like they're, 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 it, i'm doing my team a disservice because we're essentially just going down one nothing right out of the gate and sometimes it's a, a case where the flames come out they have like the first five six seven shots on goal and then five six minutes into the game the other team comes down puts one in from from distance and all of a sudden you're down one nothing and have, you're starting you know you're fighting an uphill battle again and so um it's I'm not sure what the answer is here, especially based on how good he was last year, but uh, it's clear like that's a big issue. Now for me, it's a smaller issue in the grand scheme of things than the offense, and we're going to talk more about that after the break, but for me, it is a more fixable thing that heading into next year, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to have sub-900 goal goaltending from these two guys again. Here's one thing that's more frustrating about that. And for the record, I asked Mark from that question about the the first shots in Colorado, and that's oh, not an easy thing to do. But also, like, just like I can understand for for Markstrom, like, just you go through a thing like that, and you're thinking, all right, you just get a long shot to start, and then you ease yourself in. Like, it's not always going to happen, but like, it, it's not easy for him to go through that and 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 have that. And you could see, uh, I think you could visibly see now in those games where when that does happen, that does take win out of their sails. But we're not talking about a flame team 
that uh you know is allowing like 30 40 shots a game and markstrom is struggling with all this pressure from the jump like just quickly going on the nhl website right now in terms of shots allowed per game the flames have like the second fewest of any team like they'd only like the only trail of the carolina hurricane like like um i'm trying to think there was a game against arizona last like a couple of days ago which dan vladar is in the game and like this flames team should be killing the arizona coyotes within the first 40 minutes but dan vladar has three goals on eight shots has allowed three goals on eight shots like that's what's been super frustrating. I think there are elements in their de- in their defensive slash checking structure that are very good. They're able to limit shots against against really good teams or even teams that are not that good. Like you can you can see that in so many games, even their Colorado game, they didn't allow that many chances. But when the goaltending is not there, like it 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 it, there's no way you can tell me it doesn't affect the team in some way. I know we've had guys like Dylan Dubé say like, hey, like the discussion about goaltending is a bit tired. But like, you can't tell me that like you're going through a game. Yeah. yeah, come on, you can't tell me you're going through a game and then that happens. You're like, oh man, like here we go again. And I'm not saying like they got beef with Markstrom. Like, it seems like the guys all kind of like each other. But like, come on, like you you don't want to go to a game thinking like, okay, like please, please don't allow the first goal off the first shot you see. Like, you want to play with a little bit more confidence. Yeah, Kevin, this is like a Kevin Woodleyism where he loves to talk about how there is that psychological trickle down effect of if the like if the entire team feels like their margin for error is so low because shot a shot from anywhere can go in all of a sudden that kind of starts impacting all of the skaters decision making in terms of what they do and 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 conversely you know the goalie doesn't trust them for whatever reason which isn't necessarily applicable to this situation but then that influences that as well so that's a really uh fascinating thing to consider all right julian let's take a quick break here while we still can and then when we come back, we'll uh, we'll keep talking about the Flames. You're listening to the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. with Julian McKenzie. So Julian, uh, we were talking about the defense. Let's shift over to the other side because I do think this is more concerning on my end in terms of potentially kind of deep-rooted flaws with the way this team is put together and what it means for their future. Uh, I mentioned they're 31st in shooting percentage, only the Ducks are worse. Uh, I think watching them play, it's kind of a, it's a cautionary tale or sort of instructive on like how much the game has changed uh, in terms of the importance of quality of shots you're getting and almost how, like, not unimportant quantity is, but how um, empty calorie it can be, right? And I think, for me, when you watch them play, like, they're they're second in the league, I believe, in shot attempts, and shots on goal. And then you look, and it's like, all right, they're actually kind of closer to middle of the pack or potentially even 20th in every single metric that measures the quality of the shots or high danger, inner slot shot, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess my question for you here, and I'm sure you've thought about this a bunch watching this team play night in and night out, is how much of it is personnel-based in terms of the players they have and maybe just not having the firepower that they had last year. How much of it is tactical in terms of we hear time and time again about this Daryl Sutter system and the way he wants them to play and the possession game and just shooting from wherever. And how much of it is teams adjusting to defend the Flames where it's a combination of the two. They realize what they're trying to do they realize there's no real threat to get to the inside and actually punish them 
repeatedly and so they can afford to just keep everything to the outside and box them in and just let the flames tire themselves out with all of these kind of low percentage shots from the outside my answer to your question is yes i think it's a combination of all three of those things and i think teams like minnesota have figured it out i think teams like colorado have also figured that out and if that's how this team's going to go going forward that's going to hold them back ultimately from making a significant run it does not help that the offensive players that they have on the team now, like a Jonathan Huberto, uh, we're learning more and more about the fact about how good of a perimeter player he is, but not necessarily a guy who can get chances in on the inside. Uh, but also Huberto, I guess they kind of focus on him a little bit. Like this is a guy who got 115 points last year and primarily off of being a pass first guy while still getting 30 goals. But this is a guy who I, I don't think has the confidence with him offensively like he, he does not have it with regards to what he's been able to do that being said i think a game like yesterday where he was able to get two assists including the stretch pass on the tyler to goal like that's gonna help him go a long way well and that, uh, but and, this, and yeah and that didn't even sorry good y'all but that didn't even include the nicest pass he actually made which was this kind of like spinorama pass that hits nick ritchie in stride for a glorious look which he didn't wind up converting but that was probably like the, the nicest pass that he that he made to me in that game, and that was actually one of not one of the two assists he wound up getting. Yeah, like he's still he's like he'll have moments like that where we're like, oh yeah, right, that's why he's getting paid ten and a half million next year. But I think there was an expectation that he would provide at least a punch on the, the offensive side with regards to goals. That uh, obviously they, the team needs to fill with Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk being gone. Uh, and I think, especially with Matthew Kachuk, considering how good he is along the goal line, like they're really missing that aspect in their game because I don't, I think it's been a lot tougher. I think the team knew it was going to be a lot tougher for them to get goals throughout the year. Uh, it's just a matter of them kind of working in those dirty areas and, and converting on those chances when they are within, uh, within, whether they're in striking distance or within those high danger chance areas. But there has been plenty of games where because of the fact that like, you know, they're not able to get in between the hash marks or they're not able to convert those chances when they get them. A lot of luck there and posts and all that. I think teams like a Minnesota and the defensive style that they will have, it's a lot easier for them to just kind of push them to the outside or just say, hey, you know what? Just take the shot from the point and we'll have a goaltender just kind of swallow up a lot of those shots. Like I, I think when it gets to a point, it's one thing to go up against teams that don't have that sound structure and then the Flames are just trying to, make it work from wherever they could shoot. And that's when you see those games, like 40 shots on net or 50 shots on net. But if you're a team like, a, like I, I'm, I'm mentioning this so specifically just because they had that game with them over the weekend where they were holding onto a one nothing lead for a good chunk of that game. And because of the style that they were playing, it never really felt like the Flames were going to be able to, to really just, you know, make a difference and shake out of that deficit that they were in. And there was like a heat map, heat map I pulled up from Natural Statric during the game, and, and like you're seeing the the attempts more coming from the left point side, and then the other point side as well, but a little lighter when it comes to shots in 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 between the hash marks. And like they were out shooting them, but like the at one point like the the Wild had doubled up on high danger chances, and that's happened quite a bit as well. And I mean, there's been games where the Flames have had high danger chances too, and they just have not been able to convert, and they've I'll shot those teams there. But I, I think if you're like, it has happened before where a team has recognized that the flames chances are not going to be that great. Even if they're going to get a lot, 
and they are capable of pushing them to the outside. And the Flames really, really could use some kind of inside presence, which made that Nick Ritchie goal uh, all the better. I mean, he was able to just to drive to the net and, and and make that work. If they're able to take advantage of that, maybe they have something, but they really need a guy who can make it work in front of the net. Yeah, Sport Logic has them at 20th in the league in shots from the inner slot. Um, Micah's shot chart for the team on Hockey Viz, you look at it and there's just distinct absence of looks from kind of that net front area all the way out to basically the face-off dots in the middle of the offensive zone. Uh, it was interesting listening to Bruce Boudreau talking on the TSN panel during the trade deadline day about, um, you know, the, their inability, I guess, to get to the inside and actually manufacture shots from those areas. And that's why I do think the lack of offensive pop or whatever, like part of it is finishing. But to me, the fact that they're that low in shooting percentage, I don't think is an entirely accidental because you just watch them and it's like, there's a distinct lack of problem solving or freelancing or a kind of, um, you know, someone who can just break the structure, both of their own team and of the opposition and get to those areas. And that's something that both Kachuk and Goudreau were so good at last year and almost kind of broke free from whatever Daryl Sutter wanted them to do. And they were doing it so well that he was like, all right, well, I'm just going to let them run wild. And they haven't really been able to find that at all. I think they were certainly hoping that Huberto's passing and ability to turn shots into goals would be there and it just hasn't and so I think that's certainly like a big part of this and that's much more concerning to me and that's why when you you mentioned that Coyotes game recently I believe they were up 35 to 8 in shots on goal and they were down 3-1 at the time now they wound up coming yep. back scoring a bunch and, and winning because they were playing the Arizona Coyotes but then you watch like that Bruins game and, and what was it the shots were 57 to 18 or something and they wind yep. up losing 4-3 and they're not quite at Carolina Hurricanes level in terms of like comical score bugs where they have like 30 plus shots more than the other team and they're losing, but they're dangerously bordering on that territory. And so it, it is alarming. And I do think that's something they really need to reflect on this off season, because I don't think expecting this same sort of approach and, uh, and personnel to do it, to accomplish it is going to get significantly different results. I do think there's something like legitimately flawed there. And I don't even necessarily think they need to like break the budget and like find somebody who's like five, six million dollars who they can get. They just need to find somebody who just knows how to establish themselves on the inside and and make those chances happen. I don't know if this guy would have been the greatest example, but like one player I was very intrigued about the Flames being interested in ahead of the deadline if they wanted to buy was a guy like James Van Riemsdyk who might be up there in age it might not be like the like sexiest name out there but in terms of like establishing himself as a net front presence and getting like shots on net and and getting tips there you're talking about one of the best guys at that aspect of the game since the lockout in 05 like if you take all those guys from then to now and you look at all those goals he's been able to score from that slot area from that net front area he is among the league's best. And I think like if they were in a position where they could have been able to flood around like a third round pick, which the Flames do not have for this year, but if they were able to make that work, maybe you could put him on a top six line, you put him on your power play, and you make that work. But also, we saw a little bit yesterday with with what, what Nick Ritchie was able to do in front of the net and, and where they've been able... They've already getting power play time. I know some people were kind of cringing at that a little bit, but if he's showing that like he can work in those areas and and kind of make it work in front of the net like that could be something that goes towards solving that problem but you're right like I, I think for the flames next year if they want to 
I see your smile. I, I don't know. Well, once that, again, once again, we need to. Aim, I think we need to aim higher and be more ambitious. Like I understand it could be a short-term shot in the arm. I absolutely like, agree. Yeah. But that also ties back to our earlier point about the salary to cap structure with this team. The Flames absolutely should be aiming higher, but they might need to move some shares around in order to be that ambitious. They they might have to sacrifice from their own pool and be like, okay, like we we have no hand if it at under five mil. Does that mean we can get a guy who can work in the interior for us? Like something like that should work. My ultimate point is just, yes, the Flames need to make that work, but also it also wouldn't surprise me if they tried to get that on the cheap as well. Yeah, I think it's in count. Like Lindholm, Sporlogic has him at 42 inner slot shots this year in 62 games. I don't have last year's number handy. I imagine it's probably twice that, right? And then that kind of speaks to the position he was in certainly on that line but also the, the personnel they had that were able to consistently cook up looks for him from there let's quickly circle back to Huberto here I didn't want to just kind of gloss over that because in watching that game against the wild on Saturday night in hockey in Canada in preparation for this there was a sequence in like kind of halfway through the first period I believe of that game that just perfectly encapsulated everything that's gone wrong for him this year and why I still have hope that there's something salvageable here that it's not just a matter of oh my god there's going to be eight more years of this because there's a sequence they're going in on a three on two and Huberto is in the middle lane so he's got the puck and his natural predisposition is to is, is a passer right like he wants to make plays for others but he has so much space where he could basically step in take another couple steps and at least pose some sort of a threat that at least, oh, hey, guys, look, I could shoot. Someone better come Someone better come try to stop me, or at least the goalie better face me. And instead, he's just, like, telegraphing the entire time. He's looking to his right. He winds up forcing this pass to Nazem Kadri, who's a left shot coming down the right wing, and Kadri has to, like, play it on his backhand because it's such an awkward pass. And I don't even know if they wind up getting a shot off or if they do, it's, like, a low-quality one that, that the Wild were able to quickly stop. And... I like the idea, right? Because we're talking about how this team's offensive approach is so like simplistic and like get in the offensive zone and shoot. And Huberto is one guy who breaks through that structure with his creativity and his freelancing. But the execution has completely fallen apart, whether it's been an adjustment, like playing with new players, whether it's been timing, whether it's not being on the same page. I don't know what's going on. But you watch that and it's like, this isn't the player that I watched in Florida making these passes. And I don't think he suddenly lost the ability to do that. He's still in the positions to do so the execution just has been completely off. And so I wonder if that's something that over time can eventually kind of re be regained at least to some form that he had previously. And that would obviously be a huge boon for this team. And I think they, they kind of have to hope that that's going to happen because otherwise it's, it would be a real disaster. I feel that play has everything to do with the lack of confidence in his shot. And he's kind of mentioned that throughout the year even like making little jokes to himself saying like oh yeah you guys know I don't have a lot of confidence with my shot I think of another stretch of play that happened days earlier against the Boston Bruins in overtime where he's coming up the ice on a 2-1-1 and Linus Allmark who's in net a couple moments earlier loses his stick and his stick is in the corner like to his right, and he can't get to it because Jonathan Huberto and Andrew Mangiapane are coming up the ice. But there's a defenseman in front of him, at least for saving grace. Again, Linus Olmark does not have his stick. Jonathan Huberto could probably just take a shot, you know, at least not stick side or wherever he would have gotten it, and could probably beat him. Like he has that space, he could do it. 
Huberto instead makes this pass to try to get it to Mondragon so he could beat it. But the defenseman pokes at the puck and turns it into a change of possession, and the Bruins get it going the other way. I remember going to Huberto after that game and be like, "Well, what did you see on that play? Like, did you know? Like, did you know that Allmark didn't have his stick? He did not realize in that moment that Linus Allmark did not have his stick. Like, I think for a guy, if he was at his most confident, he probably takes that shot himself, and you probably don't blame him because you're like." Well, he doesn't have his stick. Like, he's completely frazzled in the net right now, and he's trying to make it work. Like, yeah, you try to make it work. But that is Jonathan Huberto does not look like a player to me who is at his most confident. And can you blame him with the way his stats look right now? A guy who's known throughout most of this year, he has yet to make a significant impact at the standard that he knows he's capable of playing. At the very least for him, like, he's trying to help a guy like Jacques Pelletier get more accustomed to living the NHL life, but you have the two Quebecers kind of bonding and they're playing on the same line for a time. But yeah, when you have a lot of people looking at you to be this gifted offensive player, you have the A on your sweater as well. And the point totals you're putting up are well below what a lot of people expected. You know, I I, I still think the system is not a perfect fit for him, but also for, for Jonathan, like I think confidence has everything to do with why he'll have a stretch like what he did in Boston or what he did against Minnesota the other night. I totally, like, you look at the replay, you think, well, at least if he takes the shot where he's at, like, you can't fault him for that. Yeah. But him making this awkward pass on the right, you're like, nah, like, that's not the move to do. Well, his shot rate has dropped, I have this for you, from 8.6 to 5.7 shots on goal per hour played, and that puts him at 282nd out of 350 qualified forwards, and he's always going to be a pass for his player, right? But even if you compare it to last year, even his career norms, which were in the sevens, at least you have to instill some sort of idea in the back of the defender's mind and the goalie's mind that you could shoot if they leave you that wide open, right? Like at least some threat needs to be there. And there's something ironic about for a team that is shooting too much from bad areas, he's one player that is kind of not doing so from good areas and that speaks to their confidence certainly and I, I the reason why I say it's fixable is sometimes when you watch players who uh, are declining and who are entering a different stage of their careers their shot rates dip and it's because they slow down a little bit and all of a sudden they can't get to those same areas they once used to and the game becomes more difficult for them and so they just can't get the shot off that's not really what I'm seeing from him this year. I don't know if you if you agree or disagree with that, but like he's in those areas. He has time and space. He has the looks. It's just a matter of him being unwilling to do so. And you know what? Sometimes you can like get too far gone in the sense where like it snowballs and you get to a point where your confidence is so shot that it's really tough to ever get back. But he has such a sustained track record of success in this league that I find it hard to believe that this is just the new norm for him, right? So I don't know if he's ever going to be the 115 point player that he was last year where everything went right for him. But he's also not a fifty-six point player, which is what he's pacing at this season. So, even some even some middle ground there would would obviously represent an entirely different scenario for this Flames team, who's so desperate for goals wherever they can get them. Like if if Jonathan Huber to play like an eighty point player, yeah, that's at least a few more wins. That's at least yeah. a few more goals. That's a, maybe a few more assists, probably. But like that's a player that like I think a lot of people are like. Oh, okay, all right, we get it. Like he's not going to be one hundred fifteen points every year, but still a high quality player an offensive driver, someone who's able to make things happen. But I think this, the fact that his shot, just for for him, he just doesn't trust it the way that he should. I think there are so many instances when he's trying to make plays work in the offensive zone, the way defenses play him, 
and he gets double teamed or or just puts himself in a corner and he can't really get out of it. Like it's it's a bit of a tougher situation for him when he doesn't have a lot of space on the ice and maybe some of those line mates he needs to play with need to create some more of that space for him. Um, I, I think it's just a tough situation for him where he's in a new city, he's trying to adjust to things and it's not working. And there is that grace period I get some people get, but 60 something games in and everybody's not playing all that well. It's a, it, the spotlight burns a lot brighter on you. Uh, and I think that's the case for a guy like Jonathan Huberto right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, based on the expectations and what they need from him, I think, I think it's fair to be critical of his performance. I don't think it's like, it's knocking a guy when he's down. Like he, he needs to be better than this. Um, okay. I, I had so many other talking points that I wanted to hit with you about Sutter and the system and the relationship with the players and all that. We're gonna have to save it for another day though, because we, uh, we're out of time here, so that's a that's a good cue for us to bring you back in before the season ends, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hold us to that. Um, but for now, let the listeners know where they can check you out and plug some stuff on the way out. Uh, JKA McKenzie is my Twitter handle. Uh, I am taking questions for the upcoming edition of my uh, monthly mailbag for the Athletic. Uh, so uh, you know, go if you subscribe to the website, uh, hit up my profile, hit up the Calgary Flames site, and then. Uh, You'll see the mailbag call out and send out some questions there. I subscribe to uh, the FI Hockey Show, which I do every Monday with Ian Mendez. Subscribe to the Chris Johnson Show. Uh, we just did an episode on Monday. Um, we were just talking about post-trade deadline stuff and also getting him to do some fun questions as well. Um, zone Time with Yahoo Sports. Uh, we have a brand new episode dropping today, being Tuesday. So be on the lookout for that as well. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm I'm working on a few things, and just look out for all that sweet sweet content from the athletic, man. I'm I'm working hard, man. I love it. All right, Julian. Well, we're, uh, keep up the great work. We're gonna have you back on soon for the listeners. They enjoy this conversation. They can help us out by smashing that five star button wherever you listen to PDO Cast. And we'll be back tomorrow with more of the Hockey PDO Cast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.